Welcome everyone to the next episode of our podcast series uh, where we focus on various wealth issues and opportunities with advice tailored to today's events. My name is Gary Poth and I lead the family wealth business here at KeyBank and today's topic is focused on election year estate and tax strategies. And joining me for today's discussion are two of our top experts, uh, Lisa Clifford, uh, who's a family wealth strategist for our Northeast region, and Jeff Getty, who's the managing director of our family wealth consulting team. Just a, a little bit of background on Lisa and Jeff. Lisa is a certified private wealth advisor, and she's also a certified merger and acquisition advisor. And just a little tidbit on uh, Lisa. Uh, she is a monthly television guest uh, on a program called Money Monday, uh, which is a show out of Albany, New York. Uh, Jeff is a nationally recognized author and speaker with over 20 years of experience working with closely held and family-owned businesses on innovative asset protection, tax reduction, uh, as well as estate planning strategies. Uh, Jeff's got a degree, a law degree from the University of Pittsburgh. He's got a Master of, of Science in Taxation from Duquesne. And he is also a certified merger and acquisition advisor. Uh, Jeff was also recently elected as a fellow by the American College of Trust and Estate Council, AgTech, in recognition of his significant contributions to the field of trust and estate law. So welcome, Lisa and Jeff, to the program. Uh, before we dive into today's topic, I just want to mention as a backdrop that Key Family Wealth is one of the largest and oldest family offices in the country. Uh, we serve about 250 families and we manage about $14 billion in assets on their behalf. So with that, uh, let's jump in today's topic. Uh, Lisa, I want to uh, pull you into the conversation first. Maybe just for our listeners, can you describe um, today's environment uh, when it comes to tax and estate strategies, what's available? And uh, more specifically, what the uh, potential changes uh, of those strategies could be as we come up on, on the November elections. Sure. Thanks, Gary. Um, we all, I think, can agree that 2020 has been a year full of uncertainty. And, you know, this theme continues as we approach the November presidential election. So if we consider a potential change in national leadership, we know that there is a strong likelihood that a Democratic win would mean tax reform, especially given the massive federal stimulus spending related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, we anticipate that this re reform would likely include a reduction in the current estate and gift tax exemption, which is right now sitting at about 11.58 million or just over 23 million per couple. The current exemption is scheduled to sunset on January 1st, 2026 and revert to 2016 levels of 5.5 million index for inflation. So a big um, drop. If we do have a Biden win and, and Democrats do gain control of Congress, there is speculation that this exemption may be reduced prior to its schedule. This really presents high net worth individuals with a compelling window of opportunity to take advantage of the current higher exemption amount and take steps to reduce their taxable estate. Guidance that we've seen from the IRS indicates that gifts made today using the higher exemption amounts prior to a tax law change won't be subject to a future penalty or clawback. So we view this as a use it or lose it opportunity and are strongly encouraging clients to act now to consider strategies that will allow them to use the current exemption, which is at record high levels. So Lisa, no matter what happens uh, in the election, 
um, even if uh, we do nothing, uh, it's still going to expire in 2026, uh, going down to less than half the level it is now. But as you point out, if uh, if the political power changes hands, uh, there's a very good chance it could uh, go down even lower than that much quicker than the 2026. Is that essentially uh, it? That's right. And really, we do see the exemption amount um, since it does impact uh, high net worth and our highest uh, level paying taxpayers. It's almost low hanging fruit. So it's certainly something that is very likely uh, to be subject to uh, change. Makes sense. Could you maybe just uh, give a little bit of insight on the tax rate itself? I know if I believe it's at 40 percent today. Uh, any uh, anything on the radar that might suggest it would go up from here? Always a possibility. We are at 40% right now, and uh, you know, again, there's a, a you know, we we view this whole thing as as subject to change. But depending on uh, you know, certainly if we have a Democrat that that takes hold, um, the likelihood that we could see um, further changes in the tax rate um, is definitely present. Um, we do know that Biden's plan does uh, also include uh, reduct, uh, the elimination of the step-up in basis at death um, on, a, on appreciated assets. So that's another thing to consider as we uh, recommend strategies for planning for our clients. Got it. Jeff, uh, may, maybe your thoughts on not just the uh, federal estate tax, but I know there's a whole host of other uh, tax strategies that uh, that you think the client should be thinking about. Why, why don't you just uh, lay out a few of those? Sure, Gary. Uh, starting with the federal estate tax issue, the name of the game here is flexibility. Federal estate tax has been around since 1914 in, in various shapes and forms. There's been at least five major revisions to that tax act or that particular tax, and we expect that uh, you know, regardless of the outcome of this election. Uh, it'll continue to be adjusted and changed over time. So uh, particularly with the advent of um, utilizing long-term trusts uh, to avoid federal estate taxes, which has been around for quite some time, we really advocate flexibility for clients. So the best case scenario in a period of uncertainty in a relatively short timeline like we are faced with today, we are typically gonna gear ourselves or lender talk to clients about strategies that allow them to give away assets for tax purposes, yet indirectly or perhaps even directly retain beneficial ownership in case they ever need that money back. So there's some very specific strategies that have been developed over the past you know, 20, 30 years to accomplish those goals. Uh, we use those frequently and talk about them even more frequently now than we have in the past uh, because they allow someone to take advantage of the higher exemption and if the exemption goes down retroactive back to January 1, they're ahead of the game. And if the election goes the other direction and it doesn't change, they still have access to those assets. They can use the exemption in another way, shape, or form later in time. So uh, from an estate tax planning or estate planning perspective, um, it's flexibility. The other thing I would add in the mix is in most of those circumstances, we're also going to talk to clients about modestly funding those structures before the election, so everything's ready to go, and then they can make a game time decision between election day and December 31st as to how much they want to fund. So it's a second level of quote unquote hedging your bets against the, the change in, in tax law. Um, we, so Jeff, hey, I just want to go back to something you just said. It's really interesting. So 
there are strategies where clients can get the assets out of their estate, but they still retain an interest, a beneficial interest in those those assets. Is that what I heard you say? That's exactly right. And one of the best known and widely utilized, uh, which is unfortunately only available to married couples, is what's known as a spousal lifetime access trust, which basically says that I said I use my exemption to set up a trust for my spouse's benefit, and then she used the dollars in her exemption to set up a trust for my benefit. So they kind of crisscross those assets. They can't be exactly the same. The trust has to be slightly different. But in essence, I fund my exemption for my wife's benefit. She funds her exemption for my benefit. So we retain between each other's trusts, direct or indirect uh, dominion and control and distributions uh, from the full, you know, 20 odd million dollars that are available to both of our exemptions. There's other strategies, but that's one that's probably the most widely utilized today. Yeah, so it's the uh, get to have your cake and eat it too strategy. That's uh, really interesting. And then you also you also mentioned uh, just uh, kind of putting these structures into place before the end of the year, but not fully funding them. Talk, just talk a little bit more about why that is. Yeah, so we're dealing with a client right now, Lisa and I, who who is is not married, uh, but would like to utilize the exemption. So it's slightly more vexing. Uh, set of circumstances, a little more difficult to plan around. Um, clearly sees the benefit, right? Particularly long-term, this gentleman's in his early 40s, so the growth potential of his asset base over his life expectancy and the impact of future estate taxes is, is a, a quite a large number. Uh, but a little uncertain about taking, in essence, you know, $11 million of his net worth and dumping it into a trust for the benefit of, of someone else with a mere expectancy, perhaps, that he could get the money back at a future date under that particular strategy. So he just doesn't want to fully fund it. So what we suggested to him is, look, let's set that particular vehicle up. Let's fund it modestly. Uh, and I think in that case, we're talking about $1,000, right? He puts that in, so everything's ready to go. And then if the election is a big sweep across the board for, for the Democrats, and it's pretty certain that um, based on the post-election conversations that they're going to change the federal estate tax in a negative way for him. Um, he's got the, the accounts and everything ready to roll. He can just send in transfer paperwork from account A to account B, which is the, the tax strategy device, and fully fund it, fund it with $5 million, whatever. So he, gets a, he has everything set up, but he gets a second chance to look at it before year end. And to understand how important that is right now, uh, there's only so many estate planning attorneys out there, and what you want to avoid is being in the long list of return phone calls to be returned November 4th because you didn't do anything, and now you're scrambling to try to pull something together to take advantage of this higher right. lower tax right. rate for you. Yep. Okay. No, that, I think that that uh, would it really makes a lot of sense and is prudent advice. Um, hey, uh, Jeff, just switching gears, um, I know that there were a couple of other categories that you had some thoughts around when it comes to uh, tax uh, planning strategy. So you want to just touch on a couple of those? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm going to piggyback a little bit on one of Lisa's comments uh, about the cap gains rate and the and the uh, loss of step-up in basis. You know, a very vexing potentially set of circumstances that might be somewhat problematic. Uh, it's a little tough to go to clients and say, hey, we think you should you should take advantage, harvest all your gains today because tax rates might be higher tomorrow. 
certainly wouldn't recommend that, but selective gain harvesting probably makes sense. So for assets that someone has already identified have probably had their run, not necessarily uh, stock market assets, let's say, but it could be real estate, it could be a bunch of different stuff. Maybe is the time to take some of those chips off the table uh, when we have lower tax rates. Conversely, uh, tax loss harvesting. Wouldn't want to do that this year if we expect that you know rates are, are likely to go up next year. Those losses will be better harvested in future years. So that ability or that look-see, um, what we're telling clients is, look, break out a, a sample tax return with your tax advisor and play around with some numbers and see what the impact is in 2020 versus 2021, making assumptions around tax rates. And that can help you score how important is it to you? What's the overall impact? And does it actually make sense to do that? Um, another category that's kind of interesting uh, to be kicking around, and I don't think super well known, is in the charitable planning area. Just two quick topics. Uh, the first one, the CARES Act, uh, actually allows for the, I'm sorry, raises the limitation for cash contributions to a public charity up to 100% of one's adjusted gross income for gifts given to public charities in 2020. Um, so literally you could re reduce all your taxable income this year if you gave enough away to a public charity. Again, that's not a circumstance we typically would recommend to someone just to wantonly do, but if you were considering some gifts over a period of time to charity, willing to accelerate them, particularly to offset uh, some, some additional gains this year, maybe selling off uh, some, some property or some ordinary income, uh, things that have occurred instead of stock options, things like that, maybe it's time to, you know, take a hard look at that CARES Act and see, does this make sense for you to uh, increase the value of that deduction uh, for 2020? Uh, the other one, and I would say this is not a high priority, but since we're talking about charitable deduction and we're talking about uh, taxes and we're talking about city plans, one of the major disadvantages or things that was taken away recently was the ability to do a true stretch IRA. And a lot of clients in our experience have large IRA balances. And IRAs are great assets while you're alive. They're terrible assets from a tax efficiency standpoint to pass on to the next generation. So being able to stretch it out over the life expectancy of your children was a very attractive asset uh, or made it a very attractive tax planning strategy. So when people are doing their estate plans, one of the things we recommend they look at is kind of taking the old stretch rules and uh, reinvigorating them through the use of a charitable remainder trust. So instead of leaving the IRA directly to you know, children, uh, we would have it instead go to a charitable remainder trust for the benefit of the children. And in that way, the charitable remainder trust slows down the tax impact over life expectancy of that child. A um, little bit technical, but if someone's already pulling out the estate plan to consider some of these other issues, that's one of the things we would have in our checklist or check mark to say, hey, if you fit this particular criteria, it doesn't make sense. So in other words, you're using um, charitable vehicles, even if you're not charitably <clears throat> uh, inclined, but there's still some advantages to these vehicles that uh, allow you to stretch or, or defer uh, taxes. Is that, is that right? Yeah, Gary, that's in a nutshell. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we deal with a lot of clients with varying degrees of charitable information, not a value judgment on my, on our behalf. It's just the way it is. Uh, sure. First and foremost, I would tell anyone, 
Um, in my experience of doing this for over 20 years, most clients would prefer to have asset. They can't have the asset in for themselves or for their kids. Um, so there's going to be a tax impact. Somebody's going to have to, some of that value is going to have to go somewhere else. They would much prefer it go to a charity of their choice than to the federal tax office. So from that level of analysis, if I can show you a strategy whereby you replace the taxing authority with a charity of your choice, most clients would say that's a good outcome. Not the perfect outcome, but it's a good one. The benefit, the other piece of this that's kind of interesting is that because you can defer the taxes out over a longer period of time, you could argue, or depending how you run the math, it's actually much more tax advantageous for the next generation. Uh, so even if you didn't care about whether or not the federal government got their tax dollars versus the charity, you would get actually more money to the next generation. So no matter how you slice and dice it, I think there's a good value in considering strategies like that, even if you don't necessarily have large charitable Right, right. Hey, Lisa, just uh, coming back to you, you work with a lot of very large, complex families. Um, and as you know, we, we spent the last 10 minutes or so talking about, uh, there's some good opportunities right now in front of us, some of which uh, are likely to change um, uh, over the next uh, few months. What, uh, what advice would you have for these families that uh, might want to explore, take advantage of some of these strategies? I would say right now we are definitely proactively talking to all of our clients about using their lifetime gift exemption and uh, you know just understanding kind of going back it always comes back to the goals and objectives to the family and making sure it aligns with their financial plan if their goal is to transfer wealth to their children or to put uh, they are charitably inclined you know this is this is an opportunity to take advantage of some of these strategies so it's very it's a very personalized approach and I would even say, even beyond the largest families that we work with, um, if you think about reverting back to the 2017 levels of, you know, five and a half or 5.5 million index for inflation, a lot more individuals, uh, this will impact and will be subject to estate planning. So I would argue that planning is needed for a, a much broader set of, of individuals and couples. Um, and I just think that, that also, if you consider the low interest rate environment that we're in, and perhaps press values in real estate they may own or their or a closely held business, it makes these, some of these strategies even more po uh, powerful from a transfer point of view. So I would say like, you know, Jeff echoed, we would certainly advise clients not to wait until the election to begin their planning because, you know, there's going to be a lot of pent up work for many of the estate planning attorneys. Uh, and this is only gonna continue to grow as, as we march forward. So actively discussing these opportunities with our clients and, and really providing resources. Um, you know, we have our upcoming webinar on this topic and it kind of does a deeper dive into some of the strategies that, that Jeff mentioned, but it really just emphasizes the unique window of opportunity that exists right now to reduce the tax burden on their children and grandchildren and really pass wealth to future generations. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, the uh, upcoming WebEx. So um, just for our listeners, we will be um, hosting uh, a WebEx here over the next 30 days or so uh, just to give people uh, a chance to, to interact and, and to ask some questions around the particular strategies. And then, Lisa, if, uh, if we've got listeners that uh, want to get started on this early, 
Uh, I assume they just reach out to you or to some member of their key family wealth team. Absolutely. Uh, you know, we're all here. We're taking uh, questions from clients and non-clients alike. And, uh, you know, we're we're willing to, we've got great resources available on this topic and uh, happy to have a conversation with our um, our clients and individuals, as well as, you know, joining in calls with their advisors to kind of talk through some of these strategies. Great. Well, thank you, uh, Jeff and Lisa, uh, for joining us today and for sharing your insights and expertise. And I'm going to close the podcast by thanking you, our client, for trusting Key to help you grow your business and trusting Key Family Wealth uh, to serve as your personal advisor on all aspects of wealth management. Uh, Jeff, Lisa, myself, we all know that you've got uh, many different choices when it comes to banking and wealth management. And uh, I can assure you that this team is always thinking about how to better serve you and to better serve your family. So with that, we'll conclude this podcast. And I want to wish you and your families a happy and safe fall season.